0: This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more, work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. So in this other episode, I would like to continue that conversation that we had about uh, uh, methodologies to make our deep learning uh, models or deep neural networks approachable for uh, devices uh, of this caliber, the microcontrollers in particular. We have already seen some uh, methodologies and I highly recommend you uh, to listen to the previous episodes again or for the first time if you missed them. In uh, this episode, I'm going to cover the uh, methodology a methodology called quantization of neural networks. So, neural network quantization is one of uh, the most important methodologies to, let's say, squeeze the network, make it smaller, and uh, also make our model faster during inference time, which is when the model is actually performing uh, the actual prediction. So far, you know, if you are familiar with um, uh, deep learning and all the frameworks out there, like PyTorch, TensorFlow, MXNet, or uh, Onyx, or whatever framework you you like, uh, or you are choosing for your daily job, and also regardless of the uh, model, you know, the, the architecture of the network that you are considering, all of them essentially use a type of numeric, which is indeed the floating point, And that usually occupies a certain space in memory or in the registers of your CPU. And that usually is 32 bits. So this is true for even the latest GPUs. You know, they realize that indeed using floating point at 32 bit is uh, sufficient to provide computations that, uh, you know, to carry computations that are typical of a neural network. So, doing the forward pass, the backward propagation, as well as the loss minimization, and of course the matrix multiplications. These are all operations for which indeed FP32, as it is called, floating point 32-bit, from now on we'll call it FP32, It's much easier, much shorter. That's the type of numeric that these networks work with. And also all the frameworks that we are, a majority of the frameworks that we deal with uh, are all supporting this FP32 data type. There is a problem though, that FP32 can be too big for certain devices and in particular for the tiny devices that we are referring whenever we speak about tiny ML or embedded machine learning. And um, what happens is that, well, uh, there are chances to squeezing the network and to, you know, let get rid of this FP32 and, and make it shorter, use something that is smaller. For example, something that runs over only 8 bits instead of 32 bits. So, that's, that would be one quarter of, of, you know, of the original size. And so, by doing that, of course, you know, the question is, can I actually, you know, ditch the FP32 numeric and switch to 8-bit numeric and do the same computation that I'm used to. Like, what would happen if I if I did such a thing? Well, from a performance perspective, what would happen is that you would have definitely a reduction in model size, of course, and specifically, more precisely, you would have four times reduction in model size, because moving to a 32-bit to an at only 8-bit, you would have four times reduction in, in how big that model is in memory. Um, Due to this, you know, memory shrinkage, you would also have reduction in memory bandwidth. Memory bandwidth is essentially the bandwidth that you need to, you know, load and unload or store variables from the memory to the CPU and backward, right? So this would be between two and four times reduction in memory bandwidth. You would also have faster inference because when you save in memory bandwidth, uh, you also have uh because you're saving memory bandwidth and because you also have uh, you know faster compute with uh, uh, so-called int 8 or uh, 8-bit arithmetic because you know cpus nowadays are uh, much more optimized and are of course much faster carrying uh, 8-bit numerics rather than 32 you know it's it's a matter of size at the end and so if there are more bits to carry and to perform computation on if you if you shrink this if you if you remove let's say 75 percent of your uh, of of the bits that you probably don't need or you think you don't need well bingo (laughs) you are essentially reducing the computation and definitely make it faster now, of course, all this would be amazing if there was no cost that you would pay uh, to, you know, to shrink these networks and to make all these computations faster. Unfortunately, that's not all gold what shines, and so uh, in fact, uh, there is an, an, a cost, an additional cost that you have to pay. Uh, that usually is in terms of accuracy. So usually, so-called quantized models, that is, models that utilize much smaller numeric um, and much smaller data types are models that are, let's say, less accurate than their big brothers, uh, the FP32 version of themselves. The basic operation that one needs to perform before um, quantizing a net is, of course, to generate quantized tensors. And that's not an easy task because, you know, there's a lot of theory behind quantization, the theory of quantization. If you have studied digital signal processing or DSP any time in your life, (laughs) you should know how tedious and how elaborate that theory is, uh, the theory behind quantization. So, of course, there are naive methodologies that would, you know, allow you or help you out with uh, quantizing a signal. But there are other sophisticated uh, methodologies that, of course, allow you to quantize a signal without, you know, containing the error, so-called quantization error, and, of course, shrinking as much as you can uh, of that signal. Quantization is, in fact, one of the, you know, horsepower of uh, compression theory. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, the the Shannon entropy and and the limitation... imposed by the Shannon theorem that, of course, you you cannot break, you know, theoretically cannot break, and and therefore there is no way that you can compress uh, whatever you want indefinitely and still preserve that signal intact. So there is a a price that you have to pay at some point, and that usually goes under the name of quantization error. This happens all the time with signal processing, and the trade-off of the engineer is indeed to, you know, to find the, the sweet spot between compressing slash quantizing as much as we can stretch that quantization uh, methodology and process without losing accuracy and without losing quality of the signal that you are in fact quantizing. Pretty much the same happens for uh, quantizing a neural network because at the end of the day a neural network is just made of uh, a lot of signals which are the activations, the weights, the the neurons, the, uh, the topology of the network. These are all signals that you know these are digital signals after all that can be that if quantized of course will lose accuracy and also reconstructing these signals or recalculating the same thing in a quantized version of that signal is going to uh, be definitely less accurate than, uh, than the original version of the network so this is a, a dogma <laughs> this is something that we cannot change the only thing that we can do is finding a sweet spot, finding a trade-off. Now, with this said, there are different modes of quantization uh, that are not only, you know, theoretically viable because there is support um, in, uh, you know, there is theoretical support in uh, in all the three methodologies, but they are also supported by uh, framework implementations and in particular PyTorch. I'm not a big fan of, um, uh, of TensorFlow, to be honest. I'm uh, more a PyTorch guy, if there was a Python guy. Or, um, I, I like PyTorch much more. I believe, I, I think that PyTorch is much more flexible than TensorFlow. Uh, yeah, I just like it. I just find the API, the PyTorch API, much more intuitive and much, much uh, simpler than, the, than the, the TensorFlow equivalent. But with this said, quantization is supported by both frameworks. And uh, in this episode, I'm going to refer to the PyTorch API. And also the links that I will provide in the show notes of this episode will refer to the PyTorch API. But this concept, as I said, can be generalized pretty well uh, across frameworks. The first quantization mode that I'm going to cover in this episode is dynamic quantization. And uh, this is also the easiest method of the three that I'm going to explain in this show. Um, Dynamic quantization involves not just converting the weights to uh, their integer equivalent or to the 8-bit version, 8-bit numeric, uh, but also converting the activations uh, to 8-bit numerics on the fly. On the fly means that just right before the computation, uh, I'm going to convert these activations from their floating point to the 8-bit um, uh, equivalent dynamically. So that's why the name is dynamic quantization because in fact, I'm not converting in a static way and then store the quantized version of my network or of my activations, but I'm doing that whenever I need. And when I need is when, of course, I'm going to calculate the, uh, you know, layer by layer, the, uh, the, the matrix multiplication between the weights and the activation functions, of course. And then moving this computation to the next layer and next, next layer and so on until the output, right? So that's essentially what dynamic quantization does. These computations will be performed uh, using um, uh, 8-bit matrix multiplication, which is known to be much more efficient for uh, old and and modern CPUs, and also GPUs. And this overall, of course, results in faster compute. So, there is an example. So, the PyTorch API is uh, probably one of the simplest, probably Keras API is the simplest of all, Um, that is TensorFlow-based, but it's an API that uh, is, you know, if you want to begin with deep neural networks, I'll recommend uh, using a Keras API, though PyTorch is also much nicer. I'm just gonna slip it under the door. (laughs) But anyway, uh, in, in PyTorch, it's so it is so easy to quantize to use dynamic quantization because you just take your model and you just call a function that is uh, under the namespace torch dot quantization dot quantize underscore dynamic and just call the model and you pass the layers you know to this function you also pass the layers that you would like to be quantized and that's it that's pretty much it so you obtain the quantized model and then you are uh, free to use the quantized model instead of the floating point Uh, equivalent in 32-bit. So, that's the uh, dynamic quantization. The second methodology is of course so-called static quantization and it's a slight improvement uh, with respect to dynamic quantization because it converts networks to use uh, integer arithmetic and uh, integer memory accesses too. So, with static quantization essentially what we are doing is quantizing everything, the weights and the activations at inference time. And that's going to be the the numbers that we're going to use. So all the parameters of the network and all the activations of the network will be used at inference time in quantized state, okay? So what static quantization is doing is essentially something a bit more sophisticated than the dynamic quantization that does everything on the fly, because with static quantization, there are so-called observers that essentially observe the, uh, let's say, the statistical distributions of the activations in order to decide what is the best quantization method or best quantization parameters or configuration to use for that particular activation function, okay? And so this is something that is extremely sophisticated or can be extremely sophisticated because, you know, every layer can be quantized in a different way, depending on their distribution, on the statistical distribution of the values. So if you are, for example, in, in DSP, in digital signal processing, if you have signals that are very smooth, and so they don't really have big variations in time. You know, quantizing these signals is much easier to start with. And it also usually requires less bits uh, because, you know, these signals are smooth, and so they don't really vary that much, you know, the amplitude of the signals is not that large, and also the, the derivatives of these signals are not that large, and so this means that you can quantize in a smooth way with, with less bits, of course. If the signal starts becoming, you know, a bit more complicated, of course, quantizing this, you know, more complicated signal... It requires you many more levels of quantization. And so you would require much more bits uh, at your disposal. And so the quantization would be, you know, adaptive, depending on how uh, the signal look like. That's pretty much the same uh, concept applied to uh, activations and to neural networks in general. When you want to quantize with static quantization, what you are doing with the observers is essentially probing the model in a way that you can um, record the distributions of the weights and activations and determine different quantizations for different activations at inference time. And so with this technique, in fact, you can adaptively quantize things, or well, activations and, and weights, depending on how they look like. And that's very powerful. Now, in PyTorch, there are many ways we can do that. Of course, there's the naive way of uh, you know dividing the range Uh, of activations into a a fixed number of levels and then use you know see where the activation in which level the single activation fills and then uh, measure where in uh, in these levels kind of bins uh, the activation ends and uh, and quantizing with the equivalent of that bin. Uh, But if you have other other types of activations with uh, different uh, distributions, of course, you can take advantage of these different distributions and decide to quantize differently with a different configuration. Another important operator that is considered and is also implemented in the PyTorch framework, uh, which is indeed, again, very, very powerful framework, is so-called operator fusion. And uh, essentially this allows you to fuse multiple operations into a single operation, also saving memory access. Layer fusion is another methodology that I'll probably cover in another episode, but essentially what lay, uh, layer fusion allows you to do is to detect layers that are considered similar and fuse them into one layer. Now, of course, we can have multiple layers that are fused into one layer and that, you know, will turn out to be, uh, you know, less memory access and also uh, faster inference. So that's just another methodology that is pretty much bound to the concept of static quantization. And it's also available to you via the PyTorch API. Of course, last but not least is so-called per-channel quantization that allows you to quantize weights for each output channel independently Uh, And that's also another powerful um, implementation of the PyTorch API. So if you had to implement this, um, one thing you would do is of course, create the model, instantiate the model. Then you have a step where you prepare the model. In uh, this preparation step, you essentially are inserting these observers that will um, observe the distributions of the weights and activations and decide how to quantize each layer of your model. And finally, you can convert your model into its quantized version and use the quantized version instead. All this is usually done in a dozen lines of code in PyTorch. Uh, So, it's extremely powerful. And also, there are interesting tutorials that will help you out. I will report some of the most important links in the show notes of this episode. The third method is even more sophisticated, um, that that goes under the name of quantization-aware training. You also find the acronym QAT, which is the third and last method that I'm going to cover when it comes to neural network quantization. This is a method that allows you to reach the highest accuracy possible because it allows you to take into account quantization during training. So when you are training your neural network, you are essentially taking into account the fact that the network will be, at some point after training, will be quantized. And so the idea behind this methodology is, okay, if I know that I have to quantize the network after training, how about training with quantization in mind? So how can you train with quantization in mind? Well, you can fake a quantization uh, process. So, essentially, what we do during quantization of our training is mimicking quantization. That is, we'll still use floating point 32 uh, variables and registers, but we store a value that is the quantized equivalent of that floating point number. And so, with this, it's kind of a trick because you will trick the CPU or the GPU or whatever you're calculating your backpropagation you will trick as if um, you know you will put a a quantized number in the dress of a floating point number (laughs) and so the gpu will see a regular floating point but behind that floating point there is its quantized version and so if i train like that it means that first of all i can use a gpu Uh, i couldn't use a gpu before because gpus don't work on int 8 um, uh, values and second I am training with quantization in mind, which means that when it's time to quantize for real, the network works the same because it has been trained with the quantized version of itself since the very beginning. So that's pretty genius. You know, it's like using quantization in disguise of something else. (laughs) Ah, engineers and developers are amazing. If you want to implement this using the PyTorch API, This is also very, very simple. So let's assume that you have a model with, uh, let's say, a a convolution 2D, a batch norm 2D, and a ReLU, uh, that is the rectified linear unit activation function. So this example is, you will find this example in uh, the tutorial that I'm going to report in the show notes of this episode on datascienceatom.com. But of course, feel free to apply this methodology to uh, network with different layers. It's going to work the same. So imagine you have a model with convolution 2D, batch norm 2D, and the ReLU. uh, And what happens in the forward pass is something super simple. That is, you take the input, which we call X, you quantize X. And again, this is a fake quantization because you're still using floating point variables, just holding a value that is the quantized version of that input then you pass the quantized input through the convolution layer. And then you pass that output to the batch norm 2D. And then you pass that to the next layer, which is a ReLU. Now right before the output of the network, what you do is a dequantization step. So you dequantize and you can do that because you have a quantization configuration in which you know what maps to what and so you can quantize and dequantize in a, a organic way. Now, what happens after you create the model? Well, you instantiate the model. So, you create a model instance. That model is going to be a floating point model. At that point, you configure your quantization methodology. And what happens next is that you fuse modules of that model. In particular, you fuse the convolution, the convolutional layer, the, uh, the batch norm layer, and the reload. So model f- uh, layer fusion is, again, another technique that I'm not going to explain in this episode, probably in another one, but essentially it allows you to, let's say, squeeze or merge these three layers into one, right, into an equivalent one. That is equivalent from a linear algebra perspective, of course. At that point, what happens is that you have quantized the model, you have fused the some of the layers. Well, it's time to send the observers. So this is essentially the preparation step in which you are generating the so-called FP32 prepared, as, as it call, it's called in PyTorch, in the PyTorch tutorial, which is the equivalent model that is not only fused but also prepared for quantization. This is where the observers are, um, you know, let's say, it's, let me quote this, studying the distribution of the activations and the weights to decide how can we quantize in the most optimal way and finally there is the training uh, process so here you start training the model passing regular data but that's of course a model that is fused that is quantized pay attention when i say quantized. This is fake quantized and i train with a fake quantized model right now what happens when i quantize for real Well, I should not lose a lot of accuracy because guess what? The training has occurred with the fake quantized model. And so there is very little difference between a fake quantized model and an actually quantized model, right? So the training process will not lose accuracy in this case because everything was there in the first place. So what happens with another line of code in torch uh, calling torch.quantization.convert you take the, you pass the model of floating point/fake quants or fake quantized model and you convert that into its integer equivalent and there you go you have a model that is using 8-bit arithmetic that should be not only much smaller than the original version but its accuracy should be very very close to the original Uh, to the original version so these are the three most important quantization methodologies that you should definitely get familiar with don't forget to drop by our discord channel if you have issues with the code or if you are if you have better ideas if you find something that you would like to share with the community we always welcome new ideas and new observations So feel free to drop by. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode. And as always, on the official website, datascienceathome.com. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.